The following program contains views, ideas, and opinions that have been produced by the host and their guests and are not reflective of Quixie 98.3 or Skytower Communications. For questions, comments, and concerns, email us at news at wqxe.com. Good morning, I'm Zach Epperson. This week is week two in our continuing series on the community and the police. And I'm joined in studio this morning by two of our officers at the Elizabethtown Police Department, Officer Chris Denham and Officer Chris Elam. Guys, how are you doing this morning? We're doing good, Zach. Thanks for having us. Good. How are you? All right. So we have you all in this week. Of course, John Thomas was uh, with us last week talking about traffic stops. And this is week two of our uh, series on the community and police. And so this week we're going to be talking about use of force. Right, Chris? Absolutely. You know, w- my job as a public affairs officer at the Lizardtown Police Department is to kind of demystify policing. That John and I kind of coined that phrase from John. But it's something that folks seem to think that we have things to hide. And that's just not the case with with the Lewistown Police Department. I mean, we're, we openly discuss our, uh, our tactics, and, and we want people to understand the reasons why we do what we do. Officer Elam, we'll turn it over to you now. So the topic today, uh, use of force. And so from my understanding, of course, I didn't get to participate in the media Citizens Police Academy. I wish I had. But they just rave about your 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 uh, lessons and teachings over there for the media just to kind of help understand the process. So let's just kind of open up the process. What, what uh, Explain it, I guess. What is use of force for police? Well, first of all, let's start by correcting the term use of force. Yeah. It's not really used anymore. What we call use of force is now response to resistance. The reason we call it the response to resistance is because all uses of force begin as a reaction to something that a suspect or a subject has done that has caused the officer to react. So in a way, there's no quote-unquote use of force until someone does something to cause the officer to react to that. Now, don't misunderstand that the officer still has laws and guidelines to follow. It's not an excuse to use excessive force, but officers don't just jump out of their car and use force on somebody if we're talking about a good officer doing the right thing. Now, obviously, a bad officer can jump out of the car and start hitting somebody. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about on legitimate uses of force. They are all responses to something that the subject has done first. Right, and so you talked about the subjects, stuff that they have done. What are some of the scenarios that might require that uh, force you talked about? There's all sorts of levels of resistance a subject could use, from as low as just psychological intimidation, which would be, you've probably heard the term mean mugging, Mm -hmm. um, verbal noncompliance, where they tell the officer, no, I'm not going to do that, Uh, passive resistance, your typical person just sitting in the roadway refusing to move, active resistance where maybe I go to put my hand on but handcuff them and they actively pull away. Um, Beyond that, it could become, you know, aggressive resistance where they might take a fighting stance or swing on me. Um, So all those come into play. So it really depends on the contact. Let's say I stop a car and you're refusing to give me your driver's license or you give me your driver's license. It turns out you have a warrant and I ask you to step out of the vehicle and you refuse to step out of the vehicle. I go to place you under arrest and you start to wrestle with me. I can use whatever force is reasonable to get you under control. So it just depends on what's going on as to what level of force the officer is authorized to use. So. And, you know, and I think we have to make mention that we fully recognize that our mere presence is seen as force. And prime example of that, I've been a police officer for almost 15 years. 
And sadly, I've been stopped by the police while off duty. Uh, and, John mentioned that last week he had. <laughs> you know, and again, saying I've been a police officer for 15 years, you'd think I would be totally comfortable when stopped by the police. I'm not. It is a, it is an intimidating process. Even being stopped by one of our local guys, it, when, when they pull in behind you, and I have been stopped by our local guys, full disclosure, <laughs> but when they pull in behind you, you know, you get the white knuckles, you're shaking. It's, it's an intimidating process. So knowing that, uh, you know, it's – our presence alone is a use of force. We fully recognize that. But you also, as a citizen, need to realize that we're aware of that. Um, so we're looking for someone to deviate from the norm, and which causes us to potentially rise uh, to force. You talked about um, uh, about the um, kind of uh, circumstances and uh, what you've seen. What What are some of those common? This is for both of you. What are some of those common? Um, scenarios and Chris you went over there for a second uh, some of the scenarios but what are the most common ones that you all have experienced uh, in your time in law enforcement a lot of uses of force and I was going to address this if it came up a lot of uses of force stem from and I, I talk about this in my class um, we as officers if we've decided to write you a ticket or place you under arrest we are going to write you a ticket or place you under arrest you're not going to change our minds because we've made that decision so a lot of times you'll hear me talk in my class, we're not going to hold traffic court or criminal court on the side of the road. That is not the place to argue. There's a court system and that's where you argue. So a lot of the use of force you see stems from people that are being taken into custody, but they want to continue to argue or try to pr present their case as to why it's a false arrest. You don't have the legal right to resist arrest, okay? so if you believe you're being arrested unlawfully, submit to the arrest, the court system, the civil system, that's where you address that. But a lot of it lends or comes from people wanting to hold court on the side of the road. It's not safe for the person that's being detained or arrested. It's not safe for the officer. It's not safe for the other citizens. Like I said, you don't have the right to resist the arrest. The officer, if he's placing you under arrest, you're not going to change his mind by standing there and arguing with him or pulling away from him. If you pull away from him, the officer's use of force escalates. If you swing on him, the officer's use of force escalates. So that's where you can go from mere presence all the way up to getting tased because we react to the level of force that we come upon. So if the subject continues to elevate his resistance, trying to argue his case, we're going to elevate our use of force to overcome that resistance. If everybody would just comply, there's a place to settle whether or not you're falsely arrested. That's where that needs to take place. So a lot of this stuff could, I'm not in a candy coated or, or a lot of it could be avoided if people would just respect the authority, the law, not just, just the officer, but the society has set certain laws that you're expected to follow. And if there's a time when you want recourse, that's the court. That's a civil, get an attorney. If you think the officer's wrong, sue him in court. But the side of the road is not the place to try to prove it. And, and the reason being, you know, that when you go to court, a courtroom is a controlled environment, okay? When we contact someone, every contact we make is an armed encounter. It's armed because at a minimum, the police officer is armed. If things go sideways and you end up in a tussle with someone, you are now fighting someone and there is a gun in that fight. And that is quite an intimidating, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, an alarming, something that most, frankly, uh, aren't familiar with. And so, uh, Officer Lee, you mentioned a second ago, and it caught my attention, about the different, I guess you could say, stages mm -hmm. uh, that it goes through. Explain some of those stages. How does it progress, or how can it progress? Well, there's something called the force continuum, 
and it's pretty standard across the entire country in the three different departments I've worked for it's been pretty consistent but it's simply a ladder of levels of use of force and there's a subject side and an officer side so on the officer side we would start with officer presence as officer Denham spoke just merely us being there is a use of force next from that would be verbal commands so sir turn around put your hands on your back sir I need to see your driver's license um, it, beyond that would be soft, empty hand techniques, which would be compliance holds, come-alongs, twist locks, stuff that doesn't cause injury. You might get some pain compliance, but it, it generally doesn't cause any injury. Then you have hard, empty hand techniques, which would be elbow strikes, certain punches, stuff like that, that likely could cause injuries or broken bones. Next from there would be your intermediate weapons. So your batons, your tasers, your pepper spray. If you have a dog that bites, that's where the dog falls in. Then you have the deadly force, which obviously is typically the firearm. But keep in mind, if, if it's a deadly force encounter, the officer is authorized to use whatever he needs if he's justified in deadly force. On the subject or the suspect side, you have the psychological intimidation we talked about, just mean mugging the officer. You have the verbal non-compliance. No, I'm not going to do that. You have the passive resistance where they just don't respond to you at all or they just sit there, they become dead weight. Then you have the um, defensive resistance where they're not trying to hurt you but they're pulling away from you or they're, they're, you, know, you grab their wrist and they pull away or they start to back away. Then you have the act of aggression where they're taking a fighting stance, their intentions are clear, they're going to fight you, they swing at you. And then of course their level of force, deadly force, they shoot at you, they have a knife, whatever. Typically what officers do is we will enter that force continuum one step above what the subject is doing. So if they're at one particular level of force, the officer is going to be one level above that, right? And that can scale. If they escalate their force, the officer will escalate his force. If they de-escalate their force, the officer has to de-escalate. So if we go all the way up to deadly force and say, I don't shoot somebody, but they drop their gun and they comply, I have to come down as well. I can't just start shooting at them now. So we can go up and down the scale multiple times in an encounter. In addition to that, once the officer gains control and compliance, he has to stop using force. You're not authorized to continue using force. So again, it's really dynamic. It's, there's a whole continuum based on where they're at is where we're going to be. And again, if it goes up, we go up. If they go down, we go down. But once we've gained compliance, that's it. We're, and that's where you start seeing your excessive force. If the officer continues to apply force or unnecessary force and stuff like that. But again, all of that is a reaction to what the subject's doing. Now, the, now, to be clear, I'm not saying that an officer is authorized to use excessive force because the subject started something. Right. right? The officer's still required to operate within departmental policy and the law. There's no excuse for excessive force. But in a way, people kind of bring on the force that's applied to them because it's our response to what they're doing. But again, within the law and within departmental policy. Oh, you know, and that's the thing with law enforcement, not just use, use of force, response, resistance, but it is everything law enforcement does is reactive. We react to someone else's actions, whether it be, you know, again, going back to what John talked about last week, but a traffic stop scenario. We are stopping a car because of a traffic violation, or we are stopping a car because of suspicious behavior. We're contacting a subject on the street because someone called or because we observed suspicious behavior. Uh, we are reacting to someone else's actions, so we are automatically behind the curve 
in every encounter we face. I asked John this question last week on the subject there, traffic stops, and I'll ask it again here. Uh, for for uh, you two, what are some of the most common misconceptions that you feel the public has about uh, this this situation, a use of force? Chris, you, well, you know, I think one, and I don't know how to say it other than it's, it's going to sound kind of sarcastic what I'm getting ready to say, but police do not have superpowers. Uh, we, we bleed red. Um, we have emotions. Uh, you know, Chris and I, Elam and I will both sit here and tell you that does excessive force happen? Absolutely it happens. Um, you know, and there's the saying that no one dislikes a dirty cop more than a good cop, and that is absolutely live and well. Uh, again, in my experience here, I've never witnessed excessive force, um, and, and I would never stand for it if I did. But people have to remember that law enforcement, like everything else, has a human element. Um, you know, there were 350 million law enforcement encounters last year, uh, of which a significant, the vast majority uh, ended peacefully. So that's what we need to focus on. Uh, but do understand, again, it is a there is a human element in law enforcement. Mistakes do happen. Sometimes good intentions, but they still go awry. But people have to just please remember that and and understand that. And for the most part, cops are really nice people, and they're, they're really approachable people, and they appreciate public coming up and, and asking them questions. Because you're interested in what they're doing, we want to educate you on what we're doing and why we're doing. You know, we are part of the community, and that's important for folks to remember that. I think a lot of misconceptions may come from seeing stuff that's either on TV or movies. But with regards to use of force, I think a lot of misconceptions just come from people not being educated as to what the officer can legally do and can't do, what the officer has done up to the certain point. A lot of times you see the video, you see it start from a certain point. You don't see the whole video, and I teach that in my class a lot. I'm not saying that an officer is right or wrong. All I'm saying is, where's the whole video? So a lot of times what you see is a use of force. You don't see a lot of stuff that led up to it. So I think a lot of misconceptions, like I say, just come from not understanding the law with regards to the use of force, what officers can do, what's expected from the citizen. At least with me, if, if you're respectful to me, I'll be respectful with you. I'll explain to you what's going on. I'll try to help you out as best I can. But you need to understand that I'm placed in this position by society to help maintain the law and the order. And everybody is expected to comply with that. You don't. So I think a lot of misconceptions, like I say, come from the fact that people don't understand what we do, why we do it, how we do it, what leads up to what you see on the video. It's a very interesting point. I'll, uh, we'll finish up with this. Chris, I gave John the opportunity last week to do this. Uh, but uh, Citizens Police Academy, you talked about demystifying uh, police work and just giving the community a good idea of what you all do. Go ahead and pitch that for us. What, the public, it's a very good program, isn't it? It is, you know, and it's and that's the goal of it. Just to deep, it's, it's to welcome the citizens into their police department uh, so they understand why we do everything we do, and there is nothing off the table. If they have questions, we will ask them. Typically, we do them in the spring and the fall. Unfortunately, the spring session this year had to be cut short because of COVID. Um, the fall, still kind of up in the air. I haven't really decided what we're going to do or when we're going to fire that back up again, but we will be doing it. It's an eight-week program. Uh, we meet on Thursday evenings, um, and it's, it's just a it gives citizens the opportunity to take an inside look at literally pretty much every single aspect of the police department. Yeah. And Officer Elam here, he does a presentation, uh, and it's it's usually people's uh, their, their favorite presentation. I was going to say, I've heard so many, I mentioned it at the beginning of the interview, so many rave things about uh, your your uh, your class that you go through there at the Citizens Police Academy. And, you know, the, as far as who can, anyone can attend. 
Uh, it's totally free. We provide food. It's it's usually a good time. But the folks that I really want to attend are the skeptics. I want if, if you're skeptical of the police, if you don't trust us, if you don't like us, come down. I can change your mind. I, I feel very confident in that. Very good stuff. Well, again, thank you all so much, Officer Chris Denham and Officer Chris Elam with the Elizabethtown Police Department, uh, joining me in studio this morning. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having us. For a recap of today's forum or to listen to past forums, go to WQXE.com and click on the Media tab. For Quixie 98.3, I'm Zach Epperson.